You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Inspired is a word that the Bible uses of itself. And inspired is a way that you and I can live our lives. Because the one who inspired the scriptures, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, wants to fill and empower your life and in mine. I want to ask you this morning as we begin, what is the Bible to you? Is it just a, a book of instructions, you know, like a recipe, or like a manual if you're working on a car, or like um, a map quest, a, a printout to get you where you're trying to go? Is the Bible a book of instructions? Or is it something else? I want to suggest to you this morning that I think a lot of the reason why for many of us find the Bible a dry book because we can't find the inspiration in our lives of which the Bible speaks. And, and the Bible for us is nothing more than a list of instructions when God wants the Bible to be for us a, really a divine action adventure. It's a drama. It's a story. It's a narrative that continues to this day. We're not particularly fond of instructions. If you're like me, you have a kind of an immunity to instructions. Uh, you just don't need them or they're really not helpful. Did a little research this week thinking about instructions and I found the kind of warnings that we find on our consumer products. And uh, just to amuse you, I've, I brought a few of them. On a Duraflame log, fireplace log, you can read, caution, risk of fire. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, on a Batman costume, the warning says, warning, cape does not enable user to fly. <laughs> okay, I won't send my kid up on the roof. Uh, on a bottle of hair coloring, we read, do not use as an ice cream topping. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. On a cardboard sun shield for cars, you know, do not drive with sun shield in place. <laughs> Traffic's better. Um, on a portable stroller, this is my favorite. Caution, remove the infant before folding for storage. <laughs> and you go, who needs this, really? I mean, I guess there are people out there that do, but I'm just really glad I'm not one of them. Uh, these instructions just don't seem helpful. And frankly, if we think of the Bible as a book of instructions, then I think we're going to think of it as a book that's frankly just not that helpful. And when we think of the Bible and instructions, oftentimes we think of the Ten Commandments. Ten things that you got to avoid. Ten things not to step in as you journey uh, through life. What I want to do this morning is try to change your paradigm a little bit around the Ten Commandments. I want you to think of them differently. Because I don't think they, and I don't think the Bible, is about instructions. So uh, I want to invite you to open up uh, your Bible. And what I think you're going to see here as we look at this is that it's really about a person. The Ten Commandments are really about a rescuer. Uh, the Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. So now you know where they are. If anybody ever asks you, where are those Ten Commandments? Actually, they come up a couple of times, but the, uh, the, main, the first time we hear them, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. We're not going to read that whole text together in worship, but I do want to call to your attention the first three verses, and we'll read those in a moment. But notice this, three things. Most people don't know about the Ten Commandments. The first thing is they're actually words, not commandments. That's what the text, that's what God calls them. They're, they're words and not commandments. So we're talking about God's word and the power of God's word. The second thing is they're not so much about us as they are about God. This is how God introduces them. About me, not you. 
It's not about what you've done or haven't done or need to do, but it's about what I have done. You'll see that in a moment. And then the third thing you notice is that the the Ten Commandments are functioning for the Israelites, as God uses them, as a kind of a global positioning system. They locate you. These people have been where they do not want to be, and God says, you're here now with me. You're not lost anymore. I'm your rescuer. So look for that as we read. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read uh, out loud together. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, as the word of God. Uh, as we're done, as, after we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Okay, the Ten Commandments will follow. You just read the first of them. You shall have no other gods before me. But do you see God's interpretation of not a list of rules? I want you to know who I am. I am the Lord your God, your God, who brought you out of the house of slavery. That's what this is all about. This is a a divine action adventure. And guess what? You're part of the drama and you have a rescuer. Unfortunately, It's all too often to find yourself in life where you don't want to be. Somewhere in California, somewhere in the Trinity Alps, which is northern California, there is a ridge called Hinman's Folly. Now, it's a very small group of people that knows it by that name, uh, but we will never forget it uh, and and the reason for which it was named, because a number of years ago, I was with a, a group of people, and we were hiking in the Trinity Alps, and After being out there in the wilderness for several days, we decided to part company and divide it into two groups. We were going to rendezvous two and a half, three days later, uh, uh, and we were off trail. So uh, unfortunately, for some reason, all the people who knew the terrain, the guides were in one group, and all the rest of us were in the other group. (laughs) Unfortunately, for a second uh, reason, the uh, group that I was a part of, which was not the one the guides were in, elected me uh, to be the leader of that group. So before we left, the guides pulled out topographical maps, and we got out our compasses, and they gave us instructions. They gave us a list of instructions, directions. And, And they showed us one ridge in particular, and they said, this ridge, you have to be really careful about it, because it's sort of a false summit. It looks very much like the ridge that you're looking for, but it is not at all the ridge you're looking for. And uh, that, of course, is the ridge that became known to us as Hinman's Folly, because you're already guessing that's the ridge that I led us on to for over a day, for a very long day, if I might say a very dangerous and by the end very dark day of hiking, we were absolutely lost. We were not where we wanted to be. It's not that hard to happen, really. It's interesting. I've been reading a book by Lawrence Gonzalez this week called Deep Survival. I think some of you may have read it. Who lives, who dies, and why? And Lawrence Gonzalez quotes in this book a researcher who says this. This is interesting. If you ask hikers on a trail to point out where they are on a map at any given moment, they are usually wrong. 
They're usually wrong. And this book is really about how people get lost, how it happens. Gonzalez looks at the um, search and rescue missions uh, and uh, studies them, interacts with researchers who do the same. He looks at brain science and uh, evolutionary psychology. And in that context, uh, asks this question, how do people get lost? And what does lost mean? He cites one scholar who defines being lost as 30 minutes of not knowing where you are. Happens in a bar on the Ave every Friday night, but that's a different thing. Uh, 30 minutes of not knowing where you are. Gonzalez's own working definition is this. The inability to make the mental map match the environment. I want you to catch that. The inability, being lost is the inability to make the, the mental map match the environment. He says the hippocampus will create in our minds uh, a mental map. You know you're lost when you can't make that map match the environment. Now, uh, Gonzalez has studied, the stories in this book are Uh, hair-raising. There are people, for example, snowmobilers who go racing up a ridge and then uh, an avalanche uh, sweeps them away and they're lost. Stories of people like a skier who is very experienced and he knows the ski resort quite well, but he tries to take a shortcut back to the lodge through the trees and uh, all of a sudden he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm not even in the resort anymore. How did this happen? He's standing atop a 500-foot ledge. Uh, Another group who were hiking in the wilderness and they had a little bit of space between them and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, a fog bank and a lot of weather comes through, separating themselves from one another and completely disorienting them and they're lost for days. Uh, scuba divers, experienced, certified, but underwater, remove the regulator without any explanation. They should know in their minds that this would kill them, and it does, but they do it anyways. How do we get lost? And yet so many of us do it, such a common experience. He says uh, this, being lost then is not a location, it's a transformation. It's a failure of the mind. It can happen in the woods or it can happen in life. The inability to make the mental map match the environment. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you? As you come to church today, where are you? In what ways does the mental map that you hold seem to be kind of out of sync with the environment? What doesn't look right? How well is that map working for you today? I'm talking about in the actual environment of your life, what just doesn't appear to be where it's supposed to be? How are you disoriented? And what makes you feel lost? I ask these questions of myself and I ask them of you because the good news is in this text, God wants you to know I am your rescuer. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. You see, Exodus really isn't just a book in the Bible. In fact, to these people, as they gather around the foot of Mount Sinai, Exodus is not a book at all. There is no Bible at this point. Exodus is a search and rescue mission. See, Exodus is the action of God in the world to identify his people when their mental maps are breaking down. And God says, I know you don't know where you are, but I know where you are. And you're not lost. I'm your God. I'm your God. You see, the Ten Commandments are not telling them 
how you become my people. God starts there. You're already my people. Ten Commandments is not a list of what you have to do in order to be rescued. God starts there. He says, you're already rescued. This chapter that we refer to as the Exodus in this grand narrative really encompasses four books of the Bible. And just because I want you to understand the literary landscape in which we encounter this story so you can read it for yourself, I want to take a moment and locate you in the terrain. There are four books. These are the latter four books of what we call the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. And uh, this story arc begins where we left off last week. And I thought, Andy, you think you did a great job preaching that. It was wonderful. The patriarchs are in Egypt. That's not their home. They're there because they're fleeing famine. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there. The Exodus chapter will end uh, in the book of Deuteronomy with the Israelites on the plains of Moab this side of the Jordan River, just about to cross over into the Promised Land, and we'll look at that next week. Four books. These four books, let me give you some little mnemonic devices for those of you that want to teach your kids and impress people at cocktail parties. Here's the storyline of these four books. Then you don't have to read them for yourself, okay? Exodus is about exiting Egypt and God's excellent law. Exodus. Exodus is about exiting Egypt and God's excellent law. Mount Sinai, right in the beginning of those two parts. Leviticus leaves, Leviticus leaves a great high priest for a holy God. That's what Leviticus is about. Leviticus leaves a great high priest for a holy God. Numbers, the third book. Numbers counts two generations and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Numbers counts two generations and 40 years wandering in the wilderness. That's the story of what Numbers is all about. And then finally, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy doubles down on love and loyalty And in triple talks by Moses, Deuteronomy doubles down on love and loyalty in triple talks by Moses. The word exodus simply means way out. Ex hadas, out, road, or way, a way out. And that's what this whole story is about. When there is no way, God makes a way out for his people. They're lost in Egypt. See, there's been a new king Uh, we read this in the very first chapter of the book of Exodus. New king over Egypt. He doesn't remember Joseph anymore, and the Israelites now are an opportunity for exploitation. He oppresses them. Uh, Slavery, more bricks, less straw. Uh, There's ethnic cleansing that goes on. God's people cry out to God, and God says, I know where you are. I'm on my way. The divine action adventure hero is coming to Egypt. Because he's found his people and he wants to rescue them. And he does. And it's quite dramatic. The the plagues and the Passover feast. And uh, parting the Red Sea and the pillar of fire and the cloud. As he leads them through the wilderness. Providing for them uh, water from a rock and bread from heaven. It's the power of this rescuer at work. And what we get from this isn't just a history lesson. The fact is God has a way out. For you too, and for me. In order to experience that way out this morning, we have to do two things. And I want to share them with you briefly. First, we have to know that we're lost. And secondly, we have to know the guide. We have to know that we're lost. It's funny for me, as I, it's sort of scary in a way, as I read uh, Gonzalez's book, Deep Survival, how similar these people are to us, to me, to you. 
He, he, these are highly intelligent people that, that get lost in the wilderness, many of them. They're highly trained. They're skilled. They're following all the instructions in, in whatever their field is or their extreme sport. They're doing everything right. They've got the gear, you know. But then all of a sudden, one day, through some unexpected thing, the whole environment changes. And suddenly, the mental map, and it may take a while to figure it out, but the mental map isn't giving you good information anymore. He talks about what orienteers uh, call bending the map. That's when you try to uh, make your expectation, you try to make reality conform to your expectations. Uh, when you, he says, when, when you start saying to yourself stuff like, well, the lake could have dried up, you know, red lights should be going uh, on the dashboard of your life. Um, <clears throat> someone was telling me after one of the services about a friend who does professional orienteering. She says, you know you're in trouble when you start tapping on the compass. <laughs> you know, and I said, yeah, that's true. And in fact, there's a story about in, deep, in Deep Survival about somebody who smashes the compass. It's just wrong. It's useless now. You know you're in trouble. Okay, the mental map is no longer working for you in that environment. And that's what happens. We're going along through life and everything seems to be good. We're following all the rules. And we're so well trained and everything. And then all of a sudden, I don't recognize anything. I'm lost. And there's a kind of a deep panic that sets in. Real crisis. That's the way it is for us. He uh, quotes Edward Cornell, a professor of psychology at University of Al Alberta in Edmonton. And he says this, being lost is a universal human condition. But, notice this, there's a fuzzy area between being lost and not being lost. What's he saying? He's saying all of us in some way are lost. Universal human condition, all of us. And the other thing is, most of us don't know it. We don't know it, not yet. A group of people back east, businessmen, went hunting a little while ago, and they went up into Maine. They, they were wealthy, and they hired the very best guide that they could find. They went out shooting, and they were following the wildlife around Maine until they realized several days into their trip that they were desperately lost. They looked at the guide, and the guide couldn't reorient them, and they kept wandering then for days on end through that. After a while, they were so exasperated, they turned against the guide, and they said, who are you? We were told that you were the very best guide in Maine. And he said, well, I am, but I think we're in Canada now. <laughs> It can happen in the woods. It can happen in life, we read. I want to suggest to you this morning 10 ways, 10 ways that we get lost. Uh, and, and if you've got your Bible open, it might be helpful because I'm not going to read the 10 commandments to you as such, but I want you to see how God has given his people 10 ways that we find ourselves lost. And, and the first of the, these 10 words is in verse 2. You already read it. We can get lost in our faith. Happens to all of us. The second commandment is in verse 4. We can get lost in our addictions. Happens to all of us. The third commandment is in verse 7. We can get lost in our cheap talk. Are there not so many words out there today? The fourth commandment, verse 8. We can get lost in our work. You know that. The fifth, verse 12. We can get lost in our families. The sixth, verse 13. We can get lost in our anger. The seventh word is in verse 14. We can get lost in our sex lives. 
The eighth word in verse 15, we can get lost in our money, whether we have it or not. The ninth word in verse 16, we can get lost in our relationships. And finally, number 10 in verse 17, we can get lost in our yearning. Ten ways we get lost. Ten ways that we find ourselves where we do not want to be in life. We have to know that we're lost. Like the, they teach us in AA, you know. Before you can get help, you have to admit you have a need that's greater than your power. Same for us. The second thing is you have to know the guide. That's what God is saying. I want you to know me. I'm face to face with you, Israel. I want you to know me. I'm the Lord. I'm your God. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Got to know him. Came across a woman this week really anxious because her son-in-law is dying and she doesn't know what to do. She's worried for her daughter. She's worried for her grandchildren. She just doesn't have any clue where she could possibly turn. I, I, I bet she's got a Bible on her shelf, but it's clear she does not know the rescuer. God is a stranger to her, and that is so sad. She's in the middle of a live-action drama search-and-rescue mission. God has rescued her in Jesus Christ. She doesn't know it. A couple years ago, there was an advertisement during the Super Bowl. It was a Federal Express commercial, and it was a takeoff on Tom Hanks, the castaways. You know, he gets uh, stranded on a desert island, and that's the setup for this thing. Like, the FedEx plane crashed, right? And so we see this bedraggled employee ringing the doorbell, holding out in in exhaustion this package in a nice suburban home. And the woman opens the door, and uh, she takes the package and all she can say after five years is thank you. And this guy's given us life to deliver this passage. She just says thank you. Kind of blasé and she turns around and before he lets her go, he says, ma'am, do you mind? I, I just spent five years trying to get you this passage. Would you tell me what's inside the package? And she says, oh. And so she opens up the package. She says, not much. Just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. You know what? I don't want to be that guy. God is saying, I've given you everything you need. You've got my word, the Bible. You've got my living word, Jesus Christ, face to face with you. He's your rescuer. And I don't want to spend five years lost because I didn't open my eyes, open my ears, and receive the gift. You've got to know the guide. You've got to turn to Jesus. Jesus has a way for you. Friends, this is not just history. Uh, This Exodus story becomes a paradigm that we see reflected in all the rest of this grand narrative. The prophets will remember the Exodus when they're in exile and they'll say, don't you remember, God is our rescuer. Jesus himself will define his own ministry in terms of the exile. Remember, out of Egypt, my son was called, Matthew tells us. He begins his ministry in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus recapitulates the exodus for all humanity. And then the early church, they understood they were living in this era uh, of the exodus. They were part of this action uh, drama. And the same is true for us. So let me ask you again, where are you today? Did you wake up this morning in a whiteout on the wrong ridge, facing something that's just bigger than yourself? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't yet know that he has died for you, he's risen for you, and you need to read the Bible or ask someone for help. Send me an email. I would love to help you get to know Jesus. 
Maybe you don't know that you're lost or you're too ashamed as we often are to admit it to anybody, even to God. And you need to face the truth about your life. Maybe you're afraid and you're not willing to follow Jesus because we know he's a rugged guide and he takes us through the wilderness and it can be a difficult journey. And you need to experience his love and grow in your capacity to trust Jesus. He's worthy of your confidence. Where are you today? And let me ask you, secondly, where else would you and I turn? Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission statement. That's his mission today. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He told stories about lost sheep. He says, I'm the kind of guy who who goes after the one sheep that's lost. I, I would leave all the other sheep, the 99 sheep behind the flock, just to go find that one sheep. Jesus says, that's why I'm here. Jesus never makes the sheep feel bad for being lost. He never condemns us when we are. He's seeking us because we're lost and he wants us to be found. He's searching. Have you ever, parents, have you ever lost your child in a public place? You know the terror of that? I mean, if you do, you, you didn't forget it. You remember it today. I mean, we lost our kid at a resort one time. You know, they were lighting torches and they were blowing conch shells and we were all caught up in the drama of that. And then we started to count the little chicks and then we were one shy of a full nest and we, we realized, oh my gosh, we've lost uh, our son. And it was terrifying, heart-stopping terror. And if you've ever experienced that, or even if you can imagine it now, you know something of of what the psychology of God must have been like and must be like as he looks at us, his children, and he says, I'm your rescuer. You don't have to live lost. I know you don't know where you are. I know your mental map is not working, but I am the one who changes the environment. And I know where you are, and I'm for you, and I'm with you. I'm your guide. Where else would you turn? Jesus rescued a woman from stoning when she was lost in adultery. Jesus rescued a tax collector in a tree when he was lost in his greed. Jesus rescued Nicodemus at night when he was lost in academic arrogance. Jesus rescued a woman who brushed him in a crowd when she was lost in debilitating illness. Jesus rescued Martha at dinner when she was lost in stress and busyness. Jesus rescued Lazarus when he was dead. Jesus rescues me when I'm lost in self-absorption and pettiness, and he's ready to rescue you. There's a way out. He doesn't always snatch us out. Unfortunately, he doesn't always snatch us out. It's going to be a journey, and there's a wilderness, and sometimes it's long, but there's always a way through. Jesus will always give you a way through. As a close, let me tell you about a friend of mine named Paul. Paul was a... Um, a dear man, a sweet-spirited believer in Jesus, used to come to my classes on Sunday. But Paul was a guy who, um, his, clearly his mental map did not always map his environment. He, he struggled with his health. He was lost in sickness. He gained weight over years to the point where he could not even walk without a cane. He barely could walk. It was so painful for him. You could see rashes, and he was, had trouble breathing. Um, And I think about Paul as I think about the Exodus because we talked about it. One day Paul said to me, I really struggle with this whole story of Moses. And I said, why, Paul? And he said, well, Moses doesn't end up getting into the promised land. And that really is so very hard for me. I don't know if you know that part of the story. Moses doesn't make it into the promised land. God said, you can't go. 
And, and uh, Paul says, I just struggle. I, I bother. And, I, and I thought, what's the big deal? Paul says, Bible story. What's the big deal? As I talked to him more, I realized what the big deal was. Paul was concerned about that because Paul wasn't at all sure that he would make it into the promised land. See, that, that was, if Moses couldn't make it, Paul began to think, maybe I will be able to make it. And then I realized, oh, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. One day, sometime later, I was finishing up one of my classes, and most of the people had left. Paul was still in his usual seat in the front row. I thought probably because he, it was hard for him to get up and to leave. I was packing up my books, and uh, as I began to walk by him, I could see he was crying. Tears were streaming down his cheeks, falling to the floor. And he waved me over, and uh, when he lifted up his face, he had this huge smile on his face. And he said, George, he made it. I said, Paul, what do you mean? He said, Moses. Moses made it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, George, you, been, you taught today on the Mount of Transfiguration in Galilee. And there on this mountain stood Jesus glowing in the glory of God. And the 12 disciples were there. And next to him, George, was Elijah and Moses. Moses made it. He got through. Jesus got him through. At that moment, I knew that Paul knew that Jesus would be getting him through as well. And he'll be getting you through as well. If you'll turn to him, you have a guide. You see, on Hinman's Folly, that long, late night, it wasn't my map or compass that got me through. When you're lost, a map and a compass actually don't help you at all. It was a word. It was a voice from above. I heard... uh, people calling out to us, and it was the guides. <laughs> they had found us very, very lost. And they called us, and they gathered us, and they fed us, and they uh, journeyed with us to the place where we were supposed to have met them, companions on the way. And Jesus will do the same for you and for me today if we let him. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you have sent Jesus. You've come as Jesus to be for us the way and the truth and the life, and we so desperately need it. We pray that this could be a place where it's safe to admit to one another we really are lost. We pray also that this would be a place where we hear your word, where we study it, where we meditate on it, where we memorize it. It becomes just part of us so that we can join in this grand narrative, be a part of it, know ourselves, to be rescued, to be set free from every form of bondage, and then to become rescuers to be commissioned from this place, to lift our eyes from ourselves and out to the people around us and to to give them a word of hope in Jesus Christ as well. We pray that you do this in the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.